But we're going to talk about faith, hope, and love over the next couple of weeks. And tonight we're going to talk about faith. Um, I'm a little unorthodox, so I'm not going to do it in the order in which is mentioned in the Bible. Uh, we're going to talk about hope tonight. So let's pray and we'll get started. Jesus, thank you so much for the day you've given us. Thank you for the, the beautiful weather. We've had some rain and there might be storms coming. But we thank you that no matter what comes, that you take care of us, that you are constant, that you are good, and that you love us. I, uh, I agree with Cole, who says that Jesus is the love of God. And I, and I agree with that, Lord. I thank you that you are so loving, that you are so kind. And, and though our life is not easy, you never leave us nor forsake us. You never leave us to be by ourselves as orphans as we walk through these, uh, these valleys of the shadow of death. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. As we study your word, give us wisdom. Open our eyes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. As you turn there, we are discussing discipleship. And three of the characteristics that encapsulates what a Christian is or how they operate or, or just what should exude from us are these three qualities or these three tra traits, faith, hope, and love. The Apostle Paul in verse 13 of chapter 13 says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And we shouldn't read this as faith and hope are secondary or faith and hope are less necessary. We should just read this as all three of these are, are extremely important, super great, essential to every Christian, especially love. And I think that one of the reasons why that is is because love will continue forever. Um, our faith will meet its its maker one day. One day we'll meet, meet Jesus, the one we have faith in. One day our hopes will be satisfied. And so hope and faith will sort of uh, come to an end. But love, we will be in the love of Christ for all of eternity. That will never end. And so I think that's why love is, is the greatest of these three. So let's, um, let's uh, talk about hope. In talking about hope, the Apostle Paul uses an analogy or a metaphor or a, a parable. He uses the parable of a farm and crops. And you find that a lot throughout the Bible. And I think that's because no matter the generation, no matter the culture, farming, gardening, planting, sowing, reaping, it, it transcends and it goes everywhere. Everybody, every culture, every people group farms and gardens and, and, and raises vegetation in some way. And so it's just a universal way to talk about something so unique as the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says this. If you go back just a couple chapters. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope. And that's sort of our, our key here. The plowman should plow in hope and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much that we reap material things from you? 
If others share uh, this rightful claim on you, do we not do we not uh, or do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Paul in context is speaking about those who might earn a living from preaching the gospel, being evangelists and traveling and 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 for congregations and churches and groups to support men and women and and ministries that will go from place to place, plant churches, go on missionary trips. Paul is saying it's not a bad thing that someone should be compensated for the work that they do for the Lord. Um I think it's an honorable thing when when people do it for nothing, when they just simply volunteer, but I don't think it's a wrong thing either to let them enjoy and be supported by the groups that they're ministering to. And Paul says, "We have this right, but we haven't um but we haven't exercised it amongst you." And there are times where uh, we must minister, and there's really no compensation other than knowing that we've done our job. And sometimes there are times where, you know, especially myself as a minister, um, you go and, and you're compensated. You don't expect it, but the, the church gives you something just to say, you know what, we appreciate your effort and your time and what you brought to us. And, uh, and that's a, a thing that not only does the Lord approve of, but it's a good thing. It's how you can help uh, ministers who often – um, I'm blessed to not have two jobs, but a lot of uh, my ministry, I was working a full-time job and ministering it on the side, and that makes it really hard. But Paul says the plowman plows in hope, and the thresher threshes in hope. Here's his analogy that when a farmer you know, sows seed into the ground, he's doing so in hope. In hope of what? In hope of a crop coming up later. He doesn't have a crop in his hand, and it's going to take some time before the crop grows, but he doesn't throw it out there, then simply walk away. He's doing it for a purpose and for a reason. The hope that we have as Christians, hope that is placed in Jesus and Jesus alone, is a hope of something that will, will happen that we don't yet experience. It's an expectant thing that we do. We, we, we sow our life into Christ expecting something to happen, expecting life to be different. Every Sunday I preach to you the gospel. Every Wednesday I preach to you the gospel that we are to give our lives to Jesus for he has given his life to us. And for a Christian, an honest, repentant, reborn, regenerated Christian, there should be a marked difference between their life before Jesus and their life after Jesus so much as there's a difference between a seed and the crop that might grow from it. An apple seed and an apple tree look entirely different. But they, they, one was sown in the hope that a great tree would grow. You have been born again in the hope that you would grow in Christ. Hope that we are expressing, that we are feeling, that we are uh, commanded to have is so much more than the natural hope we have. The world naturally hopes. The world hope naturally, you know, just in their own natural being, hopes that the weather will not be devastating, that that ISIS will stop, that that a government will will go and just take them out, or that our own government would would turn around. But there's no basis for that hope other than really like wishful thinking. And I think often Christians mistake the hope that the Bible t speaks of. For wishful thinking, we just kind of we just 
We wish that things would be different. That's different than hope. So I'm going to give you four attributes tonight of hope, the Christian hope, the biblical hope, so that we can identify hope that we were sort of born with naturally and hope that's been given to us as a gift and as, a, um, as an element of the Christian walk or the, the discipleship that we are coming under. So the first earmark of our hope is that it is alive. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Our hope is alive. That means that who we have put our hope in is not stationary. What we have put our hope in is somebody beyond us, somebody with a sovereign will, somebody with, with a mind, with a will, with choices, with an agenda, with a, a, a purpose and a plan for all things. Our hope is alive because it is in an, a, a living God. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. See, we understand that through through the gospel or, or in the gospel, um, the story is that God so loved the world that he gave his son to come and die on our behalf, to die for our sins. But that's just half the story. Our, our forgiveness and being washed clean by the blood of the lamb, and, and though our sins are like scarlet, we're made white as snow, as, as God tells Isaiah. That's only half the story. We still have eternity to live. We still have all of life to live from that moment on till we die and pass from this life and go into the next life. Life, eternal life, begins the moment we are born again. We are born of the Spirit. Now, we've already been born physically. Now, once we give our life to Christ, we're born of the Spirit. And Peter says that we were made, we were born again to a living hope. That's because God is alive. The overriding theme, usually I try to have like the, the last line of the sermon is kind of the big reveal or, or three quarters of the way in. But really, all of this, this hope that we're going to talk about, all goes back to Jesus. Our hope is not in our circumstance. Our hope is not in our prayers. Our hope is not in our performance. Our hope is not in um, what we've done or what we can do. Our hope is in what Jesus has said, what he has done, and what he is going to do. Now, I said this Sunday, it, faith and hope kind of go along with one another. And, and hope and faith, it, it's us putting everything into God's basket, us us getting into uh, in, into his boat, if you will, and trusting him as not just our co-pilot, not just a passenger with us, but the one leading us, the one beside us, the one protecting us from behind. He has encapsulated us. Our hope is fully in him. For the Christian, the world should look at us and marvel, not because we have our heads in the sand, not because we, we are crazy or weird, but because our hope never diminishes because Jesus never does. They should see folks that are going through the same tragedies, maybe even, even worse things, but in a way that still reveres God, in a way that 
that will confound them. Why aren't you crazy? Why aren't you an alcoholic? Why aren't you doing drugs? Why aren't you trying to run from this? Because I have Jesus, and this hurts, but I know that, that, that something from this will come out that will be good. I've shared with you, we've shared with you in recent weeks that, that Ethan's reaching the end of his cancer treatment. And we've watched the Lord be faithful over these past three years. Tomorrow it will be three years since we started this journey. He'll finish out the summer. He'll have one medication to take until about February, and then we'll be done. La yesterday he took his last steroid for cancer that he'll ever take. It was just, it was awesome. I videotaped it and stuff, and it just was done. It was, it was one of those first firsts that we have. When he was first diagnosed, we couldn't see any of that. We didn't know what, what the Lord had in store for us. We didn't know how this story ended, but we had a hope. We had a hope that God had plans for us, that, that, that all things were going to work for our good, regardless of or irregardless of, of the circumstances we had before us. We couldn't, we couldn't turn a blind eye to it. We couldn't pretend it wasn't happening. We had to get on board with the will of God and put our hope back in him. We have been blessed with some of the best doctors, I believe, in our country. I believe that some of the doctors at the Children's Hospital and the Cancer Center, they, they have very little competition when it comes to the best doctors in our name. They have been so loving and kind and compassionate and understanding when we call and we have questions that for them, they've answered them a thousand times, but for us, it's brand new. But see, our... our as much as they've been awesome and great and compassionate and loving, our hope has never been in them. Our hope has always been in Jesus. Because every other hope at some point will fail you, but Jesus will not. And, and it's hard to transition from putting your hope in a circumstance or in a performance that you might have into Jesus when, when honestly the Bible tells us that this hope that we have is in something that we don't yet see. And even when we do, Paul says, I believe it's in the book of 1 Corinthians, that it's like we're looking into a, a dirty mirror. You know, if you've ever seen a, been into like a mirror, I remember going to a truck stop once where the, the bat, bathroom mirror was all rusted on the other side. And there was like this tiny little spot where I could see my face and it wasn't, it just wasn't clear. I could tell I was there, but there wasn't a lot of, you know, it wasn't like a real pristine mirror. The Bible says that that's kind of how we see things. We see in part right now. We understand in part. But then when we meet Christ, when our hope is fulfilled, then we will see all these things. But for now, we put our, we put our hope in a living God. That's what makes our hope alive. The hope that we have as Christians that is different than the hope of the world is that it's beyond our own human capabilities. Um, one of the hardest things to kind of latch on to as a Christian, is that not everything's up to you. Not everything's based on what you can do. Not everything's based on how smart you can be. You know, a lot of a lot of people shy away from evangelism because I just don't know enough about the Bible. If it were up to you, nobody would ever get saved. It's not up to you. It's up to Jesus. It's up to him uh, making making these people alive as we preach and proclaim the gospel. And hope is much the same. Our hope does not begin in us. It begins in God. It's given to us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Turn there. I'll give you just a couple minutes before I, um, before I go any further. Ephesians chapter 1. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. One of the things I like to do when I'm sitting in the pews, and that hasn't been very often lately, but what I like to do is I'll write down the Bible verse and then start looking for it. So if, if I – yeah, I see Vi do that a lot. So if you, you, know, if you didn't hear it or if, uh, he's, if I start talking before you guys get there, at least you know where you're going to land. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints – I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened or opened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, that what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is his uh, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fall. Uh, Excuse me, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Verse 18, having your eyes, uh, having your, the eyes of your heart enlightened or opened. We sing the song, open the eyes of my heart. That's sort of a, that's where this, uh, that's where that chorus kind of comes from is this Bible verse. Having our eyes open to see Christ. Have you ever met people and, and you either tell them about Jesus or you invite them to church? It just doesn't seem like they get it. It's like, Dude, why, why aren't you more on fire about this? Like, I heard the same sermon you did, and I can't wait to get back to church. I can't wait to be back with that group of people that are completely different than me, but, man, they just feel like family. And I can't wait to, to read my Bible again. I can't wait to go to the next Bible study. And for every person like that, you have like four or five who are just like, yeah, I want to go to the Bible study, but, eh, yeah, I'm going to go do this instead. You know, I'm going to go drinking with my friends. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go hang out here because it doesn't really interest me. It's not about interest. It's about having the eyes of our hearts open to who Christ is. It's seeing who he is in a glimpse, in a glimmer, just, wow, oh, my gosh, that's Jesus? That's that's who everybody's talking about? That's why everybody is so crazy when you talk about Christ? Because you've you've seen him. But but here's the thing. Human words will not pull that off, for lack of a better phrase. Human words will fail in the description of Christ. But when God opens the eyes of a sinner towards himself, that's when people see. And And that hope that we are to have is not dependent on you or me or us. And how great we can make Jesus look. It's about praying for them. That the Lord might open their eyes. That they might see what you see. Or, or my prayer generally is help them to see more than what I see. Because I, I, I'm convinced that I don't have it all together. There's got to be more to this than what I have. So give them more. Help them to see. Help them to – and you know what happens? You have people that come to you and say, I just happened to read the Bible. Did you ever read this part? Did you ever read this story? I really felt like the Lord told me this or the Lord told me that. or And that's when you begin to, begin to see that hope come alive, that hope be born in them.
that hope that enlightens them to the what Paul says the the what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead the the hope that we are called to is not the hope that we can muster on our own it will be something that the lord does through us we will be like a conduit if you will he will work in us and through us to give us that hope and if you if you find yourself not having that hope the wrong response is well i guess i just don't have it the right response is lord increase my hope lord help me that i am hopeless if you truly are the god that gives us hope and give me hope show me Open my eyes that I might see, not like other people, but the way that your word says that I can. As a result, this hope is exclusive to Christians. Going back to people who don't, you know, you talk to them about Jesus and they don't kind of get on board. If they aren't Christians, if they're not born again, they're not going to see it like you. Now, the bad response to this is, well, they just don't understand Let's go have our exclusive little club over here where we all understand and we never invite them in. If we do that, then missionary work would end, evangelistic work would end, the church would never grow. We can't be exclusive to the extent where we discriminate or are prejudiced against folks. However, we have to understand that if our eyes have been opened simply because we have put our faith in Christ and they have not, it literally is like banging your head up against a wall to get them to see something that you see that they can't. And your efforts are better spent praying for them and praying with them if they will allow than trying to persuade them with your words. Show them the gospel through your actions. Tell them the gospel of Jesus. Pray for them and know that if it's not their time, it's not their time. That if they, if they harden their hearts or their eyes just aren't open, keep praying for them. Now, if you are a born-again Christian, this level of hope, if you will, is exclusive to you. It doesn't make you – it should not make you haughty. If it makes you haughty or prideful, you got it wrong. If it makes you more compassionate to, towards those who are not Christians, if it makes you want to take the gospel to places where it's not being taken or to places where maybe people have gotten it, gotten it wrong, then you're doing it right. You're being filled with, with, with the, the mission that God has given to all Christians. The exclusivity of this hope that we have should not spur us to pride. It should spur us to compassion. To look upon the world and say, man, they don't have – no wonder they're no wonder they're committing suicide and doing drugs and, and sleeping around and – and 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 blowing their money at the casino and and drinking till they're stupid. No wonder they're doing these things. They don't have any hope. You know, this is a very depressed area. You, know, you see generation upon generation of folks that that have had no hope. And and to try to tell them, hey man, just have hope. I can only imagine they want to punch you in the tooth because they don't even know what that looks like. But we can pray. We can seek opportunity. We can share when God allows us the gospel of Jesus, that, that though we were dead, we can be made alive. Though we were a wretch, we have been saved by God's amazing grace. 
Ephesians 2 and 11 says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, that's us, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. That's basically what the Jews would call us, the uncircumcised. It's not a, it's not a term of endearment. It's not a classification. It's, it's a derogatory term. It means that we're unclean. We're like pigs, dogs, just dirt, unclean. Paul says that's how we were before. We were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Ephesians 2 and 12 says, Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There is a definitive line drawn between Christian and non-Christian. When we are born, we are born spiritually dead. We are not. We're, we're spiritual orphans. Not only are we dead, we have no family, we have no father, we have no mother. We do physically, but not spiritually. And then when we're born again, we're born into the family of God. This makes us a child of God. Believing in Jesus, believing in his works, believing in what he has done, putting our faith in him following him as a disciple this is the line in the sand and not everyone who is born is is a child of god but everyone who is born can become a child of god but paul says we were one way before verse 13 he says but now in christ in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If you are born again today, you are as close to Jesus as Je excuse me. You are as close to Jesus as you could possibly be. You have been brought near not by your sacrifice, not by your efforts, not by what you have done, but by what Jesus has done, by his blood that has been shed. This is why if you've ever come to church and wonder why everybody talks about the blood of Jesus like as an endearing term, like, if you think about that literally for a moment, someone's blood being sprinkled on you, it doesn't sound very fun. I'm one of these people that when you, like, cut chicken on the countertop, I wear gloves, and then I pull out the bleach, and I just bleach everything because salmonella is a thing. Like, I don't want to touch the – if I could somehow not touch the meat, that would be fine. If I was a Levitical priest, I don't think I'd ever make it. With them sacrificing lambs and pigeons and bulls and, and there's this one part where they take like the priest and they take the blood and they put it on his ear and his thumb and his toe. And I'm like, oh, I don't want any part of that. You want to put blood? Can't we just – can I just sign a form or like my – why do I have to put blood on my toes and my ears? Paul says in verse, verse 13, but now in Christ – you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And we use that term affectionately because it's his bloodshed that has freed us, liberated us, and cleansed us from sin, past, present, and future. Whatever you've done, his bloodshed has washed you clean. It's made you whiter than any bleach. It's made you whiter than any snow we've ever seen. And that white being very symbolic and a metaphor of, of, of purity within us that we can't attain ourselves, but man, we can have it through Christ. That's exclusive to those who call on the name of Jesus. Number four, hope is essential for waiting. 
And waiting's not fun. A couple Sundays ago, I preached on waiting. I don't want to spend too much time here. If you were here and heard that, or if you want to go back and listen to that sermon, but Lamentations 3 and 19, which it's hard to preach out of Lamentations, by the way. You read the book of Lamentations, you don't walk away with a big joyous feeling because it's Jeremiah lamenting. He's crying his heart out. It's a, it's a tough read, but I would encourage you to, to take it on one day. Lamentations 3.19, though, is very much uh, a lot more positive than the rest of the book. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually rem remembers it and is bowed down within me. So, so Jeremiah says, Lord, remember the things I've gone through. Remember the afflictions. Remember the, the bitterness. Remember the tears. Remember the pain and the hurts. And this, that's, that's an easy sermon to preach. I mean, everybody's been through something. Everybody's been hurt. Everybody's been, been uh, just taken advantage of in some way. Conservatively, most people, most you know, like Barna uh, polls and things like that, say that one in every four uh, guys have been sexually abused, and one in every three girls have been sexually abused, and that's a conservative number. Everybody's been hurt in some way or or in some shape, and and everybody's those people are carrying that around. We have to remember that when we see folks that. You know, they're involved in things like homosexuality or, or becoming transgender, which seems to be the thing, or, or bisexual or, or, or whatever they might do. You have to remember that you don't know what got them there, what pain pushed them to. It doesn't excuse what they do, but man, it should move us to compassion. It should cause us to weep for their soul, not to rejoice that they might one day be in hell. That's, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus isn't happy that anybody would go to hell. Neither should we be. But verse 22, excuse me, verse 21 says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. See, the circumstances you're in, you may or may not be miraculously lifted out of them whether it's a healing or finances or whatever it might be more likely what will happen is god will show himself faithful through that time jeremiah the the weeping prophet that's his nickname like I, I, there's a few guys in the bibles that have nicknames and jeremiah gets the weeping prophet not the best kind of nickname but through all of his weeping, lamenting, and all of that over the nation of Israel and their rebellion and their idolatry and their, their mingling of paganism with, with the worship of God, he says, you know what? My hope is in God, whose love is never ceasing. It never ends. Whose mercies are new every morning. Who is constantly there for us. And though my affliction might be here, it is temporary. The Lord is also here, and he is forever. You see, Jeremiah was going to have to wait. Nothing changed in that moment except for Jeremiah. He was changed from a person who saw the temporary to a person who saw the eternal. That God would never leave him, never forsake him. That God would always be there. His love was continuous. His mercies were new every morning. And so he would place his hope in Jesus. So practically, when you're just waiting, like, God, it just seems like, uh, nothing ever changes. You can you can say that same exact thing, Lord, it seems like nothing ever changes, but I put my hope in you. For you never change, you never cease, your love is always there, new mercies every morning. 
And I will put my hope in that. I won't put my hope in, in the next election. I won't put the hope in my job evaluation or, or my wife or my husband changing. I will put my hope in you. Number five, our, our hope is not yet fully experienced. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The very essence of hope is that we have not yet experienced that which we're hoping for. Hebrews 11 and 1 is the, the benchmark or the verse when it comes to defining faith and hope. We haven't seen the return of Christ yet, have we? We, we truthfully, while we have been saved, we have yet to be saved. We have the assurance of salvation, but that day of judgment has yet to come. We have not stood before God in the great white throne judgment. We haven't, we haven't been found in Christ before the throne yet. And so our salvation is, is now, and it's also not yet. So our hope is in a day that is to come, a time that is to come, and something that God will do that hasn't happened yet. The very essence of hope is that we haven't experienced it yet. That's what makes it hope. If I said, guess what's in my hand, and then I opened my hand, I mean, that split second you say, oh, I hope it's a pony. Then I open my hand, and oh, I didn't even get a chance to guess. I didn't even get a chance to hope. But if I hold my hand, I do this with my children all the time, they can, oh, I hope it's this, I hope it's that, I hope it's this. But once they see it, hope goes away. Now you have reality. When Jesus returns, the promise that God has given us, that's what we put our hope in. When he returns, hope comes to an end because we have Christ. Lastly, share this already, our hope is found in Christ alone. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 says this, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. These are things like horoscopes. These are things like old wives' tales. These are things like legends, myths, weird spirituality that sounds important, but it's really just weirdo stuff. Paul says, don't have any part of that. I, I watch Christ Christians. Who, who, who look to their horoscope. Like, what? Because a star is in a certain spot in the sky, you know, you're going to burn your mouth with your coffee? Like, that doesn't make any sense. You're going to have the right numbers, or you're going to meet a guy, you know, some guy was born underneath a different star, so you two are compatible? That's ridiculous. It's the silly, irreverent myths. One of the things I hate about Facebook is that so much information is perpetuated before it's ever deemed valid or true. You could, you could spend a whole day thinking something was going one way only to find out that what's been perpetuated was just a lie and a rumor. It, you just wasted your time. We have time for the truth and not much else. If it's not the truth, let's not waste our time on it. If it is the truth, then let us abide by that. Let us live by that. Paul says have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those 
who believe. Our hope is not in circumstances. You know, if I ever have to visit you in the hospital, I will pray for your doctors, I will pray for your nurses, I will pray for the janitor, I will pray for your health and miraculous healing, I will pray for everything I can possibly think of. But when I walk away, my hope is not in any one of those things or even my prayer. My hope is in Jesus and his plan for you. If it were up to me, you guys would live way longer than you probably want to. If I let my fear of losing people or my fear of watching somebody go, it would interfere at some point with somebody's true health and peace. I watch some folks, they, they, they become selfish as their, as their parents get into an older age, and they just want their parents to be around. And I get it. They love them, and, 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 I, and I'm not even trying to understand that grief. But you watch somebody suffering so that somebody else doesn't have to. And to me, that sounds selfish. You know, when, when, when we have pets, and I don't say this to demean anybody, but when they get to a certain age and they're, it's no longer, they're no longer healthy, they, they, they can't control their bowels, they, they, they can't walk under their own power, they're, you're giving them so many medications, you realize, I'm keeping them alive for me, not for them. I'm being selfish in this. At some point, you have to step back and go, you know what, Lord? Let your will be done. Going back to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he goes and he prays, Lord, if this pa cup could, could pass from me. He's saying, if there's any other way to do this, Lord, can we do it that way? But he ends it with, not my will, but your will be done. God, Father in heaven, let, let's do this your way. Because in this moment, I am consumed with anguish, but you are not. You ever watch somebody who was really anxious because of something that was going to happen? Maybe a baby's going to be born. They're waiting for a phone call for a job interview. And they're like, oh, man, what, what am I going to – there's so much going on. And you're just like, why don't you do this? You can, you can see things so clearly because you're not anxious. You don't need the job. It's not your baby. It's not your wife or husband or whatever. So you're just like – you can be unemotional about it. You know what I think you need to do right now? Sit down. Have a cold drink of water. Relax for a moment. They turn around and like, how could you have water at a time like this? And you're like, sometimes we're in that moment of anxiety. It's like it's, the reality is altered. It's like everything seems so real. But for the people on the outside, it's like, listen, I'm not being controlled by those anxieties right now. Jesus submitted to the Father knowing that the Father wasn't going through this sacrifice like he was. But he could trust the Father that what he needed to have done needed to be done. Our faith, our hope, and our love, but especially our hope tonight, must be founded in Christ, who he is. He's not controlled by our limitations. He's not controlled by the limitations of this world. He's not controlled by our timetable. He's not limited by our pain. He's not limited by our experience. He's not limited by... by People who would be prejudiced against us because we're Christians. There, are, there is more people against Christ right now probably than may, maybe has ever been in, in all of history. Or maybe we just know about it more. The church will grow. The church will explode as it's persecuted more and more. I don't know how it happens. I just know that it continuously does. Our hope must be in Christ. Your hope must be in Christ.
And so tonight I want to pray for you in that. I want your hope to at least begin today. Maybe you're not going to go from 0 to 60 in 3.5 seconds, but at least maybe we can get in the car. Maybe, maybe we can get in and turn on the engine a little bit, rev it a little bit, get ready to take off. Maybe if your hope isn't in Christ today and you don't even know what that looks like, this is the time where you need to, to, to invest your time in reading the Word of God, being at church at times like this, and hearing the Word of God and have your faith increase through that. Let me pray for you. Jesus, it is a challenging task to literally jump off the cliff of the natural life into the supernatural. And that includes the hope that you have called us to. I pray, Lord, that for some of us, we maybe maybe this is I'm preaching to the choir and we we're right on board with that, but for some of us this is hard. This is this means we let go of all of our reservations and our and our anxiety. It's letting go of that which we can't control. It's letting go of things that we, we feel we have control over. But Jesus, your word calls us to this hope. And the abundant life that you've died to give us includes this hope. I pray, Lord, that you would that you would challenge us this week, that you would push us from the comfort that the, the false security and comfort that comes from a lack of hope and challenge us to begin hoping again. Hoping in you. Putting all of our faith in you. Not what we can do, not what we've done, but what you can do and what you have done. That our hope for our nation would be in you. That our hope for our community would be in you. That our hope for our family would be in you. May, may in that hope, may you guide us and direct us. You know, Give us words to say and compassion for other people, but... But may our hope rest in you continuously. We may, may we believe that Jesus, the very Son of God, came to this earth, died on a cross, a sinner's death, conquered the grave, and lives for us today at your right hand, and has done all things that we might have this very hope that one day that you will return to judge the living and the dead, that you will come back, that you will, you will find those who are in Christ and those who are not, that you will separate the sheep from the goats, and Lord, may we be found amongst the sheep, and may we continue to find those to convert them from goats to sheep. Father, we love you. I thank you that, that you have called us to such a great endeavor, to such a, a, an awesome thing that we can do. May you be glorified, Jesus. We love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen.